So several questions here. Mm. Seemingly certain relationship, relatedness of them about how does one maintain one's center in the world, or in what we call the world, <laughs> the uh, social currents and tides, both um, local, intimate, familial, and, and larger. And how much of a center, you know, what is that? And how does one, ex- you know, what, do you, what do you bring forth from that? So, um, I'll try to weave something out of this. So we have, talk about the eight winds. I feel the head winds. What's the skillful relationship to these? So the eight winds called uh, pleasure, pain, or gain, loss, praise, blame, and uh, fame and disrepute. Pressures that occur. Evening Puja, we're invited to consider acknowledge wrongful actions against the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. Offer examples of each and comment on the importance of self-reflection and acknowledging our mistakes out loud. Thank you. About uh, balancing energy, focus, attention in daily life between what we might call our personal practice and our duty as moral beings to help respond to suffering in the world. You mentioned all that the Buddha did not try to do, fix, solve, address in his lifetime. Thoughts on how this might apply to our lives as lay practitioners today with all that's happening on the planet and society. Well, we'll sort that one out. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I suppose you know, one's moral duty or moral is 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 really to maintain awareness of one's actions, perceptions, one's aggregates, what they're doing one's perceptions, um, you know, I mean, the obvious moral duty is to refrain from particular harmful actions through body and speech, but if you uh, refine it, uh, then you start to notice, uh, you know, unskillful perceptions, unskillful motivations, uh, unskillful assessments of other people, oneself, um, blind spots, heedlessness, and so forth. So, so we're with something's moving, and in a way, by this acknowledgement of this, is to uh, is to exercise a sense of uh, a moral centre, which at first we have to. 
use, if you like, guidelines for well, don't do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, do this and don't do that. You know, the five precepts or eight precepts or however many precepts, along with any other do's and don'ts. You know, so we have to establish those conventions. So you've got something so you can have some way in which you corral your verbal and physical actions. So you watch what, so it gives you some way of watching what your mind mental intentions do and then you okay let's look at that and feel the push the rush out or the the wavering and you get to, to understand and sense this these most energetic movements of, of the mind where it blurs skips uh, becomes devious you hear the voices of it you detect the the uh, energies of it, and also the the, uh, the effects, the glows effects, the you know the things that make us attracted to greed, greed images, greed energies, we luminosities that greed creates lit up with that, or the um, rancor. And, and, aversion creates the prickliness and the intensities that that your will creates and then the, the slipperiness and not really getting to the point the corner cutting and the fudging that delusion does so these are three formidable energies and so and they say of all of these you know, the most difficult is delusion because you don't really see it, it tends to just fudge and proliferate and waffle and draw your attention away from what's really happening. So the sense of uh, acknowledging is considered necessary to to clear the delusion. And so if the delusion is strong, then what does he really, really feel? sense the unskillfulness of one's actions and speech and inclinations. Delusion will always put a bluster or a shrug or a fudge uh, over these things. Look the other way. (laughs) Or some kind of line, oh, I'd I'd be fussy or something like that. Does that. Check. Wait a minute. When you, hear, when you feel that going on, wait a minute. Let's pull back. What's happening there? And then the other, of course, the other extreme is when one is um, so uh, fixated on literalism um, that we become extremely anxious and tense around uh, what we think might be unskillful. We feel guilty. So we get very uptight and rigid. It's called sila patta paramasa. It's literally fondling paramasa, fondling in in precepts. You sort of you get in talk, you get indulgent in them in a strange way because you know, they they provide you with a sense of moral rightness, and then we become very metallic and kind of clanky, you know. 
Uh, and this is right, this is all right, and I've done wrong, and so this kind of thing, where we've, both of these, we've really lost the moral center. Moral center is not hard. It's not, not brittle. It's not tense. It's sensitive. And it's a sense of, for one's welfare, so the heart feels happy and light and doesn't have to fluster and fluster, fudge and hide, uh, justify or, you know, start judging other people. We're judging other people, something's gone wrong, the moral center has, has not, has lost something. You've lost the fundamental quality of mutuality and uh, heartfulness. It's become just a legal exercise that, that with delusion we can justify our conceit or ill will. Or insecurity, you know. So we notice things, we're getting uptight around little details that are not, not exactly right or wrong. Just, you know, uh, behavioral details. So you know, not everything can be assessed in terms of um, right or wrong. And this, some things are just more appropriate sometimes and other times. Matters of behavior are uh, essentially uh, based upon the sense of mutuality and uh, warmth. And in that you could be playful, you could be teasing, you could be, you know, it, it depends on what the relationship's about and what the situation's about. So we can't always put everything under this, uh, on this legalistic scrutiny. So the moral sense is something that's light and honouring of self and others. And how do you honour self and others? We have respect. We also have a certain tender-heartedness to others and warmth, playful, affectionate care, concern for our uh, that we're you know causing offence or offending others. So you're just checking this in yourself. Are you becoming careless, reckless, taking people for granted? Um, you know, then taking you. You know, hey, what's happening? Slipping and sliding, whereby one is not really clear in terms of self and others. You don't really get a sense of of or bear in mind another person. And this kind of thing can happen. And in fact. This, this, this attitude uh, can be something where, whereby mm, mm, morality becomes law. And so, and we may even, even encounter it as that. You know, the, the moral person has the right to, to punish immoral people, whoever <laughs> they think are immoral. And so even our, our education, our social upbringing can be one in which the, the force of right is, is able to berate, um, condemn, punish, and ex- exile, exclude people from communion, community, communality. So the fundamental sense, self and others, 
the sentient beings and that is that's the primary thing in respect and understanding we all are subject to to error so if we've actually forgotten that then this is something you want to acknowledge you know, i i suggest it's not it's not a not a moral sin it's just that either one has got into a, a, care, a reckless careless mode and you therefore you don't really know anymore and in terms of awakening awakening is not a a, a moral command it's like to be clear and so you know i don't know whether it's bothered anybody else or not but i know that i have not really been sensing other people not just as projections of my mind, not just as what I think they are or should be, but actually with a sense of, you know, space. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know her, where she's at right now. I need to bear that in mind. If I haven't borne that in mind, you know, then, oh. So this is the kind of thing one can acknowledge um, uh, at this level of um, transgression whereby not, maybe not, maybe you have done haven't done anything but still one feels a sense of uh, carelessness has been um, encouraged or let linger this is not good and carelessness with regard to creatures uh, requisites so it's called the uh, in sila as an indriya as a, a sangwara restraint care around use of requisites care around speech around confidentialities around even exaggerations around reporting on somebody to somebody else you think would you say that if they were in the room would you say that about her if she was you know, if she was standing behind you, and you bear that in mind, it's careful, you know, so that, uh, you know, have you, maybe we have, we've kind of slipped away from that. Mm-hmm. So this, this moral center can be very rich and acute and, and supportive because then we do when it's enhanced with a sense of restraint, personal restraint and respect and and kindness for others, then this is very much supportive for throwing a light on our sankharas, our karmic inclinations. So it definitely sort of reveals, okay, this is stuff you've got to check out. What's this based upon? power over the others, becoming popular, getting your own way, uh, getting a little bit, you know, uh, self-important or something of this nature, then these are, you need to check these out. Now if that's there, the more one has established that, then praise, blame, gain and loss, this is the securest um, basis to have a in reference to these, these, these effects, which both that, um, not that people shouldn't praise you, but if you start to experience that, uh, this sense of this flush and a feeling of grandiosity, 
you know, when you start to inflate with it, you check that. Yeah. Because then it, you, one is liable then to be heedless. It's not that people shouldn't, you know, but when you check it, what's happening. Yeah. And of course, sometimes people find praise very, very difficult, embarrassing. So you look at that. Yeah. And well, they, they have, you know, they have experienced benefit. Wonderful. That's great. That's great. Mudita. So we check these things. What they're doing. Blame. We can feel hurt, wounded, misunderstood. Mm. crushed or even sent into a flurry of anxiety did I really, am I really oh no, did I I really this, that and the other this is why it's important to be clear about one's actions and intentions okay then and then people, as it says in the Dhammapada, never was and never will be somebody wasn't blamed including of course the Buddha so yeah, I mean, that's the way that it is because people are operating from their own positions which they didn't understand or they projected or they imagined or they, it was the wrong day or something. Um, and then this is what happens. And it's always good to, to bear in mind it's better to be blamed than to blame others. To be blamed, you just... Mm-hmm. To blame others, you realise you, now you've got to you know you've got to tidy that up, <laughs> you know, because you've just created some karma. Uh, so, but being blamed is is pretty normal or pretty normal experience. And then, what do we do with that? We need to check and see what the other person's, you know, clearly that's her or his view and opinion. Maybe they're upset or having a difficult time, but. Yeah, and then I don't. I don't need the anger. You know, if there's a, the information is fine. The navigation error, I can check that. Clar- clarify. We're all making navigation errors. We're like, you know, boats. Can you crash into things? Swept along in a current. So that's fair enough. And then if it, then you know, check that out and then listen carefully. And then, okay. Yeah, I think you're right there. Or I wouldn't put it quite that way, but yes, perhaps. Or just I'm sorry you're upset. So the one, you know, really to meet that and and consider it not as some freak occurrence, but pretty, pretty much something that happens. How could it not happen? Expecting people to understand you is is a, quite a huge request <laughs> to make, as rather improbable. Uh, this is why it's always uh, good if you're in if you're in some relationship with other people, a little group operating together. They have periodic clean-outs, as it were. You know, what's happening, how's it been, and then some recommendation of first round, we might say what we've appreciated about, about other people's actions, you know, thank you, this and the other, 
and then things we found difficult and things we need support in. So they can just be put like that and it's like, this is hardly news, it's always going to be something. So, But then it's put just in the sense of, uh, for one's information and guidance. And so it's always in monastic. Buddha's recommendation is with this quality of, of mutual a- admonition, which is you can't do it if you have a, unless you have a mind of goodwill towards the other person. And you can't do it without requesting an opportunity to do it. And you can't do it, uh, you can't do it if you're doing the same thing yourself. And you can't, you can't do it unless you know the facts. So if you don't know the facts, you can only say, I've heard, or it seems to me, or I think that, or perhaps you could clarify this point, but it seems that way. If you don't actually know the facts, and, and by and large people don't know the facts. They have opinions, they don't know the facts. Uh, and, uh, and they don't ask permission. <laughs> and they don't have a mind to go. <laughs> Yeah, and they don't. Yeah, <laughs> they don't know the right time to address it. It's just suddenly whammo. <laughs> and then, well, that's the case in, in um, at least in monastic training. If that's the case, it doesn't count. That's invalid. It's like a that's a no ball. <laughs> it's not. You just that's not cannot be. It's not something one should have to address because it's you haven't asked permission. Uh, haven't had a mind goodwill not speaking truth or not clear of the facts and so on. And so this this experience when one has problems with other people, as probably we all do at times, then right time, right place, is it okay if I mention this? With a sense of, you know, I know she's a person who means well, she would probably want to know if her behaviour is is causing problems. You know, respect. Very few people deliberately mean harm, but they we all get blinded, confused, blurt, particularly speech. So then we have a way of addressing this, these conflicts. Gain and loss. You know, and brothers, uh, I think, you know, the, the Buddha says it is... Uh, a small account because is the loss of wealth. Uh, a great, great significance is the loss of wisdom. A small account is the loss of relatives. It's much more, you know, the loss of mindfulness is very serious. <laughs> because it's not that you're trivializing, that you're saying, you know, this, this is something you could do something about. <laughs> you know, you could actually, you could sustain wisdom, but you can't sustain, you can't stop people dying. And yet, what do you weep about? Do you weep about the loss of mindfulness, or do you weep about the loss of your father? <laughs> you know, what's, you know, what could you really do something about? Yeah. So uh, we look at what we could, what are the most important things to, to acquire, to develop, to sustain, that should cause one con- concern over losing the rest of it. Yeah, you know. comes and goes, but it's certainly advantageous as a, as a practitioner that the, the renunciation, the simpler one lives, 
less one has to lose. I mean, the more you become, you recognize, yeah, I can do with this and that, I can do without that, and then you become more independent from loss. And gain is not really, in material terms, is not that important, as long as you've got enough to keep yourself alive, as it were. Um, and this isn't up for me to assess my needs are cared for but uh, you know uh, you're looking at these things in a fairly mature way and realising just how much encouragement is to get more and how burdensome that becomes how cluttering it becomes so I always like to look at you know, I actually have more than I need. So, and uh, so I try to just cycle things through, take things and okay, use it and then pass it on, shove things, pass things through. And I always look at looking at my, my little dwelling at then I do this sort of equation, like I can either have the thing or I can have the space. What You can't have both. You can either the thing or what you like best. The thing itself, which is quite nice, and you know, always like the space. I, think, I like the space. <laughs> it's just as good thing to run that thing through. You know, if you keep the thing, yeah, it's obviously it wouldn't be there if it was totally useless. Um, how valuable is it? How worthwhile is it? And uh, you know, because it's there, you've got to clean it, look after it, and so forth. Or would you like to have the space, which is better? Mm, yeah, good. And then you take the thing. I do this thing. Take the thing, whatever it is. Maybe it's books or clothes. And you just put it in a box. Put it somewhere else. And leave it for a month or so. Then you realise you haven't needed it. Okay. Maybe give it another while. And then you didn't need it. <laughs> yeah, bye bye. I think this is just skillful um, digestive process to evacuate what you don't what you don't need. Fame and disrepute, obviously disrepute is extremely unpleasant when you get hung out to dry by people, um, particularly if you get proclaimed through the media. <laughs> yeah. So occasionally one does get misrepresented. And remember, that, that's also where it go, you know, part of the thing. And uh, they're both they're both difficult. Fame is difficult. Renown is difficult. So these um, dhammas, these worldly winds, so you, you just keep really basing it on what you, your center, what you know for yourself. And have mudita, appreciation for the strengths, not to deny those, so that people praise, you think, you know, 
Um, uh, that's beautiful. I'm glad that that quality has been made available. Or if you don't even recognize it, well, at least she's, you know, she's got something out of it. Good. But it doesn't have to be something one gets this glorification around. And it's a subtle point. I think sometimes people get almost anti any sense of of congratulation. And then clear acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of one's one's, um, shortcomings is is pretty tricky. Without going into a whole kind of blame tribunal and beat, beating oneself up. This is where it's, you just got to practice a lot. Uh, and this is where this insight training is good because you start to notice this factor depends on that. This factor arises, this one passes. When this is present, that occurs. This factor's there, that factor's not there. You look at there is Hiriotapa, is moral concern. Here's when it starts to slip. Here is sati, mindfulness. Here is when it's gone. Here is when there's uh, metta. This is when it's, it's kind of collapsed or isn't present. So you notice these factors. And then you, you check. And has this been there for me? So it's much more rather than just some generic self-view of how, how good or how bad I am. Okay, has, the practice of, has the factor of sati been present? And if it's not, hmm, what was the cause of that? Hmm. And what's the cause of what were the condition that re-establishes it? So it's pretty much just like navigation rather than tribunal. Uh, and then one can assess. But as long as you're trying to come up with a self-view at the end of it, it's always going to be distorted. Yeah. And, and not much use. Where it's good to know what are the what are the areas where one's sense of moral concern slides into righteousness or you know pedantry. When, what caused that? What are the factors that cause that? When is when it you know where does one sense of um, um, you know? Mindfulness, or oh, no, any of these factors. So then, oh, that's where it goes, that factor. This is where I need to put attention because something can be seen here. Uh, like a blind spot or a blur could be brought to light and could be a really helpful revelation as to how that, in that blur, in that blindness, what's been missed, what's occurring there. This is, this is where it's in, enlightening rather than just rectifying. In terms of, well, how one's personal practice, well, this is your personal practice does, I know the person's put it in quotes as just a way of defining things. Clearly, one's personal practice, we're environmental, aren't we? You know, we don't live in a vacuum. So one's personal practice is apprehending and relating to what arises in our awareness. And there's your awareness clarifies and less distracted, then one certainly becomes aware of a of a in, in a quite in a more sensitive way to many of the um, 
sorrowful and stressful and you know experiences that are going down and, and particularly if you go into media then you know there's absolute complete saturation in the um, blameworthy and, and uh, frightening um, conditions that are in the, there and how useful is that some use probably, but uh, when you just get this saturation where the net result is one of impotence and despair, it can't, can't really be seen as that useful an exercise. So we're trying to keep our center and our potency and our skillfulness alive so you don't feel impotent and blind but we don't feel this sense of you know reaching out or to things you can't actually have much say over you know earthquake in the philippines or and then you know what then you know so that's your moral practice is to understand and to extend in accordance with your ability to sustain that moral sense, that mindfulness, that respectfulness, that attentiveness. And how far that reaches, difficult to say. Obviously, the most single useful factor in um, responding to what this person has pointed out, the the um, the world is to meet to connect with other good people. So five of five people make a lot more have a lot greater effect than five individuals. So the more collective there is, then the greater the group power and uh, the consensus, and then you, you it amplifies. So the more we can connect in skillful ways then the stronger the effects we have. As it's pointed out, the Buddha, in some ways, wars going on in his lifetime, pretty much steady warfare was quite normal. Um, Some of the descriptions of the way that prisoners were treated are barbaric, horrific, must have a famines, pestilence. And what did he do? He taught anybody he could. And uh, constantly taught anybody he could and established both a monastic order and a lay assembly to act and conduct themselves in right, rightful ways. And his exhortation was you know, walk in the world for the welfare of many folk, make yourself available, make yourself known, teach by word and deed. And that that was the extent of it. Um, We might say, well, you know, perhaps the local immediate effect must have been quite considerable, but also we recognize because of that, then now we can benefit from it. So you look in the terms of time 
then that that individual has benefited millions of people. So these, this uh, is something to one can't really be that uh, clear about other than these broad guidelines. But certainly, the the, uh, the the if one brings wisdom into one's life, and care and concern into one's life, and one is able to communicate that and share that with others, it must be for must increase the benef- beneficial effects in the world. You know, somebody was asking, I think it was Ajahn Sona, one of the monks in Canada, who has a monastery and does things, you know, like uh, videos and whole kind of audio channel teaching and having interviews and having people come along and talk things over and why didn't go on peace demonstrations he said we've been on peace demonstrations for the last 2500 years we've been a living peace demonstration (laughs) and and a temperance and sobriety and honesty and you know and yeah do people listen some do some don't that's the that's the raw truth of it So this actually, this area is a meditation. Um, You know, a meditation where one does and we use the sacred. We stand with the sacred. We acknowledge this means something to us. However you want to put it, I'm just using that word quite loosely. We stand in the temple of eternity, and as if today is our last, and death is coming, we, st- we do that regularly, and what's that telling me? You know, have I, have I lived up to my life? Have I, you know, have I lived, have I established values and virtues that at the end of my life I can say yes I knew those I stood with those I manifested those as best I according to my capacities yeah. just as a reflection and then so to, if we do that as a meditation then we also you know if I have strayed from that are you sure before you start going into I'm not calm enough or I'm not respectful enough or I'm not punctual enough wait a minute before we go into all that just be aware of that that self-critical thing was that really you know is that really it you're here just to be obedient and make people like you is that what you're about no Not, not to make people dislike you but just have you lived according to truth and and notice when one has deceived oneself or been seduced by some of the other oh that's where it was so you hear that checking and forgiving 
but always the forgiving. There's no point, absolutely zero point, in, in naming a transgression without forgiving. It's also very clearly expressed in, in many of the suttas, the Buddha saying, it is great gain, it is great gain to have acknowledged a transgression, we forgive. It is great gain. Never, that's always the way it is in, in Buddhist monasticism, if you confess that's immediately, you have to be forgiven. You know, because it's, that's that sense of how else are we going to get it right? Well, unless we can get it wrong. <laughs> you can't get it, you know, if you're living like totally uptight, then you're not living according to moral sensitivity, you're just living according to fear. And that's not going to get you anywhere. Well, it will, but it won't get you anywhere wholesome. So, then with any, you know, so if it is something, it should be something you can say, oh, that was that, and it could be released. If it can't be released, then you've probably made a mistake in in the assessment. It's just that critical thing. It's just that nagging inadequacy thing again. If it's something that is really, that you know has missed your center, your center will know it clearly. So that was that. Okay. And then the nature of the center, the nature of jitta, it's always able to just, loving kindness, openness is pretty much the nature of it. If it's not doing that, then you cannot wisely assess anything. So that forgiving is what? It means clarity and humility and graciousness to and if we can't forgive ourselves then we should ask someone else what do you think how is it for you and then they'll say oh yeah that's yeah that's that mm-hmm. well yeah maybe that wasn't so good but yeah we, you know we all do stupid things and what was that about you know so you get other person to help you but there must be that so in meditation, when you, you, if you have this sort of occasional or daily just cleansing of, you know, blind spots, blemishes, what was that? So that I may live stronger and wiser and for the welfare of others, increase that and live according to that. So that, you know, my life, the form of my life, becomes quite clear and strong. And uh, so that when the rest of this stuff passes away, my body goes, my sense organs give up, my faculties go, my thinking packs up, you know, then there's this straight, pure heart is there. That's important. And we can practice this as a, almost like a daily recollection on death, on dying. Uh, and to understand, dying is not the end of anything, really. well, not a final end, it's just, you know, you're just in departure lounge, so you're getting on, you know, getting on a new, new, sh- new ship, that's all. So what are you taking with you, you know, you hand luggage or what? So, <laughs> check out. And do it do it many times because we all go in there. We all get on and go in that ship sooner or later. So you start checking out regularly. So well, 
get that. And that was useless. So this is the important bit. You make that so you're ready to go. And uh, and then you're always going to go somewhere brighter um, if you do that. It says jitta always moves upwards. It goes brighter if you do that. And then you think, well, right now, even when I haven't died, I feel good. Okay, yeah, I feel a sense of integrity. Then I can, you know, finish the day with that sense of integrity rather than what I'm going to be doing tomorrow and so on and so on. And then, you know, nagging thoughts. So it's a lovely, using this as a lovely um, way to complete a day or complete a retreat or when we part, some sense of, you know, forgiving, asking for forgiveness, sense of, you know, if we have any, any doubt, and just that gesture, so one can sense, yeah, I have completed the moral duty, and my heart is feels bright and clear. It's for sure, you know, even when we leave here tomorrow, will we see each other again? Maybe not. It'd be nice to feel that the last sense of that was, yeah, we were able to look each other in the eye and feel that's okay, rather than, you know, <laughs> that's the point of it. So I think I'll conclude with that for this evening.